For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. The NCAA tournament may be over, but Bet Online is still the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. And the Masters is here. Bet Online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website, betonline.ag, or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% off welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Okay, folks, welcome into another exciting edition of Believe in Wizards. As usual, or at least has been the case the last couple of weeks, we don't have a ton of wins to talk about, but there's still plenty of other Wizards-related news we're, we're going to go through here today. Just to recap a little bit here, they started off the week pretty strong with a win over Indiana, 132-124. I thought the most interesting stat from that game, and the reason it differs from all the others, they shot 10 of 19 from the three-point line, 52%, which is great. Followed up that up by a 114-104 loss to Charlotte. They were 10 of 37, or 27% from the three-point line. Against Detroit, they lost 120-91. to They were 5 of 29, or 26% from the three-point line. And then they lost badly to Dallas, 109-87, to where they were 5 of, 20, 5 of 25. Wow, that's even hard to read because it's so bad. And that's 20% from the three-point line. Larry, I think the biggest stat there isn't just the percentages are so bad, but notice how in the game they won, they shot the least amount of threes, and it was Russ setting guys up for open looks. Now, granted, in the Dallas game, they didn't have Brad or Rui, and I think that probably stagnates the offense a good amount, but how is this just such a poor shooting team across the board? Like, it's it's been hard to watch. I think it's, it's reps and, you know, being consistent and getting the – you know, the same sort of shots, you know, each and every night, you know, players knowing where they're going to get their looks from. And it, I mean, it's a reality piece that, you know, even though the game is kind of transitioned, you know, into that, the analytic space of, of shooting the three ball and, and obviously, you know, the analytics behind that, the metrics behind it, you know, it can be proven that it's not beneficial for every team, every team to play that style, even though the NBA is a copycat league, some teams are just not built and set up to maximize the three-point shot. So they have to figure out how to maximize the other areas of the game, whether it be, you know, a higher two-point um, field goal percentage or, you know, more free throw attempts to stop the other team from going down and getting their three-point looks or just being a better defensive team where, you're not playing catch up so much where the three ball is is so important um, that you have to make shots and you have to take those shots. But it's just a reality check that even though that the game has gone into the three point space, 
every team uh, is not able to maximize that. And anytime that you're taking threes and not making threes, those are fast break starters. Those are transition plays. And we spoke about early on, it's just, the, you know, when the Wizards take shots, you know, in their offense, it's just an, uh, there's just too many bad shots or just shots that are kind of out of the rhythm of the offense where it's tough to get back and play defense because that that's what I think makes you take threes is the scoreboard. Yeah. When you see the other team scoring and you're not doing well, then you're going to take threes even though you're not a good three-point shooting team. So I think there's a lot of things that go into the three-point shot, but those are some of the things that I recognize is that just because the analytics show that the metrics on the three-point shot is greater than the two-point shot, quote-unquote, it's not, you know, it's, it's not best for every team to, to sh- you know, play in that fashion. Everybody can take them. Not everybody can make them. I mean, it's just you don't look at this roster and see like too many elite shooters, especially, you know, with the year that Bertans has had, Matthews is a making thing. Brad's been really poor, you know, for his, his standards and uh, Hatchamore is still only like a second year player, barely played, you know, 82 games at this point. So it, it just, it's hard to rely on these guys. And, and honestly, I think Westbrook might've been like sort of their most clutch shooter a lot of the time this season. And, and that, I think that's hurt them late too, when you know that you can kind of pack it in on guys. Uh, the other thing that's terrible here, Larry, was that Pistons game. They shot six for 19 from the free throw line for 31 and a half percent. Have you ever seen a team shoot that poorly from the free throw line in a game? Not in an NBA game. <laughs> Yeah, not not in not in an NBA game. That's that is I mean, that's odd. You know, that's 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 a stat that you can't really um put a lot of words behind. You just kind of shake your head for that one. In all four of those games, uh they were the they were considerably worse percentage wise from the free throw line than than each of the teams they played. Uh except Dallas. Dallas they shot eighty percent or the, the Wizards had 80% in the Dallas game and the Mavericks were 79%. But they also had way, way, way less attempts than the Mavericks. So Scott Brooks just seems surprised in every post-game press conference that they're shooting so poorly. And and it, I'm on, I'm surprised too, to be honest. I thought this group of guys would, would be a little bit better. But at what point as a coach do you just say like, all right, I can't keep being surprised. It's, you know, we've, we're enough games in here that I can't expect this to like totally turn around we've got to do something different. Man, I like, um, you know, having continuity within the offense. I like to see uh, player movement, ball movement. And I think that those are the things that, that help you get better shots. Those are the things that help you get the better three-point looks. Uh, and it's no, you know, there's no secret. Teams that, are, that don't shoot free throws well or guys that don't shoot free throws well, they don't shoot the ball well. Right. I mean, you don't have a guy that's a really good shooter that is not a good free throw shooter. So there you can't be surprised. There has to be a correlation between those two just completely off the bat. And I just it does. It has a lot to do with the kind of shots that these guys are taking and when these guys are taking these shots. I mean, sometimes they're against the shot clock. Sometimes they're against the scoreboard. I just don't think that they found, you know, their style of play, uh, their pace. Sometimes they play too fast. Uh, sometimes guys don't know if they should shoot the ball or drive the ball. So I just think that as a coach, I mean, they're still searching for, you know, their identity. And when you talk about, you know, getting within the game, it's hard to figure out what your identity is 
during the game because so many things go on and you'll have to, you know, deviate or step out or take a shot that you may not normally take. But I think that finding the identity of the team is still something of a, you know, of a, of a challenge. The mentality is good. Don't get me wrong with the identity of, of these guys are, you know, especially with Russ and Brad. I mean, they're, they're not going to back down. So that's not the identity that I'm talking about. I'm talking about, you know, the full roster of playing on both ends of the floor. How are we going to play? Yeah, I mean, I think all the really good teams, like, you know, somebody mentions them and you should immediately think of, like, what their style of play is. You know, like, you've got the grit and, gr- grit and grind grizzlies and things like Like, what are the wizards? And and it's weird that we can't even say what they're trying to be, really, at this point. I mean, you've said it's from day one. It'd be nice to just know what the plan is so we can critique whether or not they're getting close to it or not. And, you know, you ask, you ask Brooks about it in the press conferences, and it's, well, we're doing what we want to do. And it's like, well, you do something different every game, so which are the things you're wanting to do? So, you know, the last couple games I sort of sarcastically tweeted out after, all right, guys, they just lost. It's going to be one of these two things in the post game. And Brooks either does the, I don't believe in moral victory speech, and then proceeds to list off a couple of things that they can take as positive takeaways, or I don't believe in excuses, and then proceeds to list all of the people who missed that game. And it just doesn't work at this point in the season. Like, the Mavericks missed two starters also. I mean, granted, none of them, neither of them are as good as Brad, but, you know, at some point, like, you gotta, you got to work with the guys you have. And uh, he's also getting, like, a little snarky with the media, too, about, like, you know, you guys are making it seem like I'm making excuses. I don't make excuses. But we didn't have Brad. We didn't have Rui. We didn't have Bertans. You know, we haven't been able to practice. We have two new guys, and one of them got hurt. Like, as a player, does that – does that get does that wear on you to hear that from your coach too? Like uh, he's got to take some accountability for that too, I think. Well, I think you, you definitely have to take accountability for that. And, you know, it, it is a little bit of a different era uh, as, as far as when, when I played mm-hmm. and we all understood. And, and those guys may understand that nobody cares, right? Right. Nobody cares that you're missing players or you haven't practiced because everyone's really in that same sort of boat, but people have been able to identify, the players have been, have been able to identify the style of play and the, you know, kind of just the, like I said, the continuity in which these teams are going to play, even though you're going to have limited time in, in the practice gym, the good teams are going to figure out how we need to play each and every night to, to be successful. And that, again, you, you just, if you don't have an identity, if, if you can't put your finger on, we didn't do this tonight because we normally do this and it's, it normally puts us in a position to win, then you'll never know where you're going wrong. You'll never, you'll, you'll never be able to go and pull that exact cog out mm-hmm. and make that adjustment to that cog and put it back in because you don't know if it was a two to three to four to five, you don't know. So as a player, we always understood that nobody cares. So internally we have to figure it out as a group and essentially the players have to pull aside from the coach as well, because we all have, we're all held accountable in different ways. And if, if a group, if the group never gets together, you never figure out how you can be successful. So sometimes, like I said early on, like, you know, if that player meeting what's in, if that's in the locker room, it may not happen with the coach. So there's just steps along the way that I feel that the, the, the program has 
has made missteps because just of the identity factor and how they're going to play each and every night. They, they're not able to figure out what's working or what's not working. And I think that that's why you see so much of the changes and, you know, just the, the game, the game sort of changes uh, that the Wizards bring to the table. And we're talking about this. I say this too, Matt. I'll, I'll, I'll add this also. As you talk about, you know, identifying each team, like if you talk about like Dallas, mm-hmm. right, you know Dallas is going to put the ball in Luka's hands. He's a really uh, good shooter, but he's also a willing passer. Mm-hmm. So that's their identity. Their team relies on Luka to make those decisions, not only because he can also make the shot, but he's also willing to make that pass and make his teammates better. So when you talk about Dallas and then you, you know, you sprinkle in all the other pieces of Porzingis and, and, you know, Hardaway now coming off the bench, but they have an identity. They know that we need to get it to Luca. And it's not the fact that he's going to shoot all the balls. He's going to open up the opportunities for the rest of the team. And that's what we're going to play out off of, off of. So if you think about the wizards, what's the identity? Here's something you don't know about me. I don't sleep well, but I'm really good at staying awake and staring at my ceiling. So I'm always looking for new ways to get my shit together. My head hits the pillow and bam, my mind races to what I didn't do, what I need to do, yada yada. Relatable? Yeah, it sucks. Fortunately, I found Sunday Scaries and realized they make products specifically for overthinkers and night owls like me. Sunday Scaries CBD gummies help me decompress, clear my head, and fall asleep so I can actually wake up a fully functioning human being. And there's no risk to try. The company offers a 100% lifetime money-back guarantee. If the product's not for you, that's okay. You'll get your money back. Sunday Scaries, in the stress-relieving business, not the stress-causing business. And I got you 25% off to prove it. Visit sundayscaries.com and use my promo code WIZARDS for your discount. That's promo code WIZARDS for 25% off at sundayscaries.com. They're effing amazing, and you won't regret joining their squad. I think you nailed it, too. And and that may not always work, too. Like, you might have certain years where we don't have the personnel to play that perfect way, or because guys are out, we can't really execute, and you make changes. But at least there's, like, a starting point. I, I don't know what I would have pegged this team's ideal style to be coming into the season you have two extremely high usage guards that are trying to alternate his turn my turn and I'm not saying that Westbrook doesn't distribute and and get some open looks for guys too but you know as you've pointed out a a couple times too it's it's he's also like oh Brad's not in cool like I'm taking this to the hoop five consecutive possessions and if not I'll throw a bailout pass if I you know and that's where we've gotten some of those bad turnovers and it's just it's just not fun to watch basketball too like there's no like last year they were bad but they were more aesthetically pleasing and uh you know they were pushing the pace and they didn't guard anybody but the ball was moving and uh you know ish smith was taking five shots a game but he was you know he's passing to everybody and it's just this year like Robin Lopez post-ups are probably the most like pure basketball play that the Wizards uh, continually run. And again, not that Brad's not fun to watch when he's going, but it's just the hole doesn't add up to like even fun basketball, let alone winning basketball. And we're talking about this on like the grand scale, like what is the team, you know, identity. But for each of these individual players, this is something we've hit on like probably every week. These guys don't seem to understand 
their roles. And it looked like that sort of players meeting before the all-star break helped for a while. But Troy Brown, since leaving and going to Chicago, he said his frustration with the Wizards was that he didn't know what would earn him his playing time. He said right after he joined the Bulls, Billy Donovan pulled him aside and said, defense, that is how you will get on the court for this team. And he praised him on, you know, Brown praised Donovan for doing that. And then when he guarded people in practice, he started to get minutes in games already. Like, it should be pretty straightforward. This is what I want you to do. If you do it, you will play. If you don't, you won't. And it took the players circling up for the Wizards two months into the season to decide Rui's the stopper, you know, uh, Bertans is the spot-up shooter, like whatever those roles are. I just, I just don't understand how as a professional coach that makes $7 million a year, that shit didn't happen in training camp, no matter how short it is. Like, it blows my mind. Well, you need that. You, you need that accountability. You need to know – guys need to know what they're, what they're held accountable for. Um, we're all professionals, all – you know, we've been great at every level that we've played. And when you get to the, the – you get to that top of the pyramid, you need to know exactly what you need to do to keep you – on top of that pyramid, not just on that team, but in the NBA. Like you need to know what each coach expects from you, because like I said, there's two different, there's two different groups of held, held accountable in different ways. There's a coach that's held accountable and then there's the players, right? Things don't go well with, you know, with a team. A lot of times it's the players that are the first ones to go and then we'll figure out if it was the coach, you know, later on. So if you're a player, you have to look to your coach for that direction of exactly what do I need to do to make sure if things don't go well, you can always, the coach can always say, well, these are the things that I expected you to do. Mm -hmm. And these are the things that you did. So when you have that exit meeting at the end of your year and you sit with the GM and the president or whatever, whatever, that coach can vouch that you did everything that that coach asked you to do. And that's what you were held. That was your standard. Even if you lost 50 games out of 70, right. you There's were held to, to measure against. You, you got something to measure against. And yes, as a professional player, I love it. Even if I didn't like it, right. I had, a, I was in Cleveland and we were talking about the roles of the team and the positions on the team. And I obviously was always kind of that combo could play the one, could play the two and just, having that conversation with the coach of what the expectation was is that they wanted me to play solely the point guard. And that's not something that I was necessarily interested in doing, just playing solely the point guard. Mm -hmm. But I knew exactly what they wanted from me so I could execute on that role, knowing all along that there was something else that I wanted to bring to the table. But first and foremost, I had to execute on the role that the coaches put in place for me to help the team be as successful as we could be. So it, it comes from that leadership and it comes from the top for sure. And I think you just hit on a really huge point. It just, just because they assign you a role in training camp doesn't mean that you can't evolve beyond that. Like you've shown the coaches that you can do that. They have more confidence in you now. Now it's okay. Well, great. We, we've given him this much, you know, room to, to operate. Now we'll give him a little more freedom. Now he can uh, run, pick and roll more, or he can post up some like, that seems to be what happens on successful teams. Hey, this guy's not as much of a known quantity for us. Let's see what he can do. Let's let's sort of work into things. And I just don't understand that for the Wizards. Like, I can't predict 
what they're expecting from these guys. And they don't ever tell you like you even hear in those press conferences from other teams, like this is what I asked Troy to come in and do like Brad Stevens is like, I wanted Mo Wagner to come in and just be a pest. Like I wanted him to be the agitator. And like, that makes sense. We've seen him do that here for a couple of years, but I never hear like I put Jerome Robinson in the game. He wasn't playing for two months and all of a sudden he's the starter because I wanted him to do X, Y, or Z. The, the one time Brooks said that about Robinson specifically, he said he brought him in for an offensive spark and Robinson played 20 minutes and scored zero points. So those things just don't even add up when they happen. And I don't know, uh, Robin Lopez recently said that to him, it was about trust. When guys trust each other, they play freely. They don't hesitate. As a big man, an example is in pick and roll coverage. If I feel I need to step up on a three-point shooting guard, I know there's going to be somebody behind me to make my man, to take my man and box my man out. I have no doubt about that. On offense, it's swinging the ball, giving it up, and knowing it's going to come back to you at some point. And he's a veteran guy who's played on good teams, and those seem like very reasonable things to be pointing out. And he shouldn't have to be the one saying those things every week. Like, I would love to hear our coaching staff say, like, you know, this is what we didn't do. It, but I don't know if you've got a veteran guy calling out the trust level on the team. I would say that's a, that's a very bad sign at this point in the year. Yes, I think that is, that is a bad sign because that comes from rumblings in the locker room. That comes from actually watching film and seeing these things not happening. So someone has to speak on those things. And I think it is just the accountability factor. Uh, all of those things that go into accountability is understanding what your role is and what you're supposed to do. And those are the basic pillars of, of having a successful team is help the helper and move the basketball and move bodies. Those are, that's the, you know, that's the pillar of, of having a championship team when everybody is on that same page, when you're always helping the helper. So if you see the big guy step up, then you automatically know you have to give him some support. And if you draw two, then there's obviously a kick pass that needs to be made where you're making that next pass. These are basic fundamentals of successful teams. And how you uh, make sure that your group is aligned with that is you have to identify that on the fly and not identify that in the film room. Mm -hmm. So you have to make sure that somebody is delegated to watching that process, whether it's help the helper, whether it's second effort or third effort. And if your team is not giving you that, they didn't help the helper, then you make an adjustment, whether it's a conversation or it's a sub. But it can't just go to the next day until you're watching film because the action already happened. I forgot about it. I didn't remember. Uh, this happened. I made an excuse because my guy went back door when the guy stepped up. So I couldn't really make that. So you're making all these excuses, but it's it's after the fact. So if the head coach is involved in the, the, the total game plan of, of how we look, what we're doing, someone has to identify when those five guys out on the court, two or two out of the five or one out of the five is not helping the helper. You have to bring attention to that, bring someone in who, you know, who's been working or who has that, you know, has that mentality, has that process. And that's how the guys get the message. I've been like kind of hard on Robin Lopez just because I didn't understand the signing. You know, we heard all off season, we're going to get a young athletic big and then bring in Robin Lopez above market value. Like, but putting that aside, that's the reason he's continuing to get minutes on this team it's stuff like that. Like you never see him in the total wrong spot. Like he might get beat because he's slow footed and a guard's going to get by him. But 
when that happens, there is never somebody backing him up. So I, I totally get why that comment is, is coming from someone like that. And, and hopefully that resonates with the rest of the team. You know, you've got Brad making comments. So we t- talked about it last week. These guys aren't playing any defense. And Russ just says everything is his fault every week, which I prefer of the alternatives. But like, you know, you said last week, like, let's call some dudes out. Who is the dude that didn't help? Who is the guy not rotating? And as a coaching staff, you can only say so many weeks in a row, like, you know, these guys aren't executing the scheme. Like, at a certain point, we'll work with them until they do. Like, I mean, I don't know if you can pull this off in the NBA or not, or there's, you know, uh, bargaining rules against it or whatever, but like, keep their asses in there for four hours and we're going to run this shit until like everybody gets where they're supposed to be. Uh, You know, we're this many months into the season and you still see guys like, overhelping or completely leaving the best player on another team. Like Luca should never have been open, like wide open at any point during a game against the Mavericks. Like that's basic, like middle school stuff. Like you don't leave the best player to go help on Dwight Powell or whoever it is. Like it just, it drives me insane watching that. You know what I'd always, you have to figure out what you're going to give up. Mm-hmm. And the guys in the league are so good, you know, from the defensive standpoint, it's tough to play defense because, you know, the offensive player has the advantage, you know, against the defender because he can't put his hands on him. He can't bump him. He can't, you know, try to make him change his direction without uh, using his hands. So you have to figure out what you're going to give up because you, you have to give up some of these guys are too good. But it's identifying, understanding, guys, this is what we're going to give up, mm-hmm. right? If, like you say, if Powell has the ball in the short corner, we're going to allow him to take that shot. We're going to box him out, but we're not going to overhelp and give him the pass that he's supposed to make, which give it to the guy who's going to make our team run, which that's how they're, that's how they're tuned. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't want to give that up. You don't want to give them that advantage. And, and you talk like if, if, if I ask you to explain to me the just sort of basic principles of how the 76ers play defense, you could do that just sort of without even seeing film or, Everyone knows this is what the Bucs do. They're going to give up a ton of threes, but they're going to try to force you into bad threes, and they're not going to give up the middle. Like, whatever it is, you can do that for teams, and the Wizards supposedly have this defensive guru in Mike Longabardi. I still have no idea from watching them, like, what those principles are supposed to be. What are the things they're willing to give up? Because that's that's what their foundation is based on. I have no no sense for that. And Whenever you ask Scott Brooks questions like that, it's like, you know, you guys are always asking me the same questions. Well, because we can't get a good answer for those questions two and a half months into the year. Like, if if we got a good answer, we wouldn't keep asking them. It's like really straightforward stuff. Yeah, I mean, you want to you want to see a bad team, you know, look at the you know look at their defense, mm-hmm. right? If you want to identify if it's a, it's a if it's a good or bad team, you you have to look at their defense. Yeah, it's 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 straightforward shit, and then. You know, you just you look sort of locally here with one of the second closest geographic teams is the Atlanta Hawks, and they made a coaching change because clearly guys had tuned Lloyd Pierce out, and I don't think that's necessarily that Lloyd Pierce is a bad coach, but like sometimes that happens, and what you're saying doesn't hit home with certain guys. You promote Nate McMillan, whose teams have always overachieved defensively, yeah. and suddenly they're a drastically better team, and. You know, not that Trey Young is ever going to be a great defender, but like they have a scheme that seems to work and and they can try to minimize that, you know, the chances for teams to exploit him and they've got long wings around him and they're playing the right guys together. And 
all I think when I watch that is like, is there any shred of a chance that there's some move that the Wizards could make? And, I, you know, whether that's fire somebody, if our defensive coordinator bring in, you know, a Jeff Bezdelic, you know, was a hot name a couple of years ago for a guy that fixed people's defenses, like something. Like, I, I just don't understand how you can be okay with status quo for this long. And the only move they make is like, all right, we'll take a guy who hasn't played all year and now he's a starter. Like, that's the only change this team ever seems to make. No, it's, it's, it's the defensive side of the ball. I mean, we talk on the offensive side, and a lot of times, again, your offense is going to create, you know, some of the bad defensive things that happen in transition that get you out of position. And then there's a snowball factor when you don't have, you know, when you don't have a cohesive group that, like, you know, like Lopez said, just, you know, helping the helper, you know, making the extra pass, uh, giving yourself up. Um, you know, there's just the, these little small things that, that make a team. It's like it's not rocket science. It's just everybody doing these things consistently every, you know, consistently over and over and over and over and over again, because you're going to give up something. You're going to be late on a rotation. Um, You know, you're going to miss a rebound. You're going to miss a boxer. All of these things happen within the course of the game, but it's your consistency in which you do those things. That's going to help you the next time around and the next time around and catching these things on the fly versus waiting to catch these things in your film session again we're not in the huddle so we don't know if these comments are being made but if you just look at the overall product then you can assume that these things aren't being said right i mean you can assume that they're not making corrections until it's in the film session because you don't see many adjustments and many things done on the fly or even you know game to game for that matter there's a there's a funky thing that's going on but you can assume that things are not being addressed or corrected on the fly because of the, the overall product. It's a weird year. Guys are sort of maybe not as locked in normal because they're getting up at weird hours to get tested twice a day. And like, there are all these other factors. And to your point about the film room, like you're all sitting in the same room or with a smaller subset with a couple assistant coaches pointing stuff out. Like it's easier to tune that out, but like, if you get yanked out of a game because, hey, you keep missing that rotation, that's why your ass is going to be on the bench for the rest of this game. That's the stuff guys remember. And when you say things like uh, Bonga didn't play tonight because the rotation didn't just come back around to him, like, does he know that, you know, there's a reason he didn't get back in? That's just love to be a fly on the wall. I think we've said that a couple hundred times on this show, but it, it would be interesting to see, like, what really goes on behind the scenes with this team. Yeah, and, and these are comments that I, as a player, I, I have a problem with. Yeah. Like, I have a problem with a coach telling me, like, the reason why I didn't get in, you know, to help my team win a game is because my rotation didn't come back around. Like, we plan with some different 48 minutes than we normally play with. Like, <laughs> everything is factored in, but that's the fastest way to lose your guy is yeah. to – is to make an excuse on why, like, like the time ran out, like the clock ran out. Like that can't be, that can't be the case. I mean, I'm a player that's in that, I'm, I'm hot. I mean, I'm, I'm hot that that's, you know, that's the, the information that I get is that, you know, my, you know, and it, it happened to a few players. It's not just one mm-hmm. player that it's, you know, the, the, the rotation didn't come back around. It's happened to multiple players. And if I'm in that locker room and I'm that like, you're going to lose those guys. I mean, they're not going to give you everything. If they don't know if they get, they get in the game, they give you everything that they have. They affect the game. 
but obviously they're going to need a breather because they probably haven't played in you know a couple games or whatnot. Right. And then they don't get back in. Like and they don't know why they didn't get back in. Like, what are we doing? Like, okay, the first and fifth thing is cool, but you know, I, I want I want action. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I think that's what the players want. I think they want clear cut information, and then they want action. Yeah, and if you just sort of get like yo-yoed in and out with no rhyme or reason. As a player, you're just going to be like, all right, F this guy. Like, I- I'm just going to wait till my next spot. I'm going to bide my time. I'm going to try to get mine when I get out there, look good for some other team, and maybe I'll get traded or maybe I'll earn another contract somewhere else. And, you know, I, I think that's what we're starting to see. And, and again, like, I-, I try not to be the guy that's like, we need to fire somebody to make a move here. But at a certain point, like, this doesn't seem to be working and the – I coach from feel thing, you know, cause I was a player. It like, it sounds cute once or twice in the post game, but players don't understand when a coach coaches from feel, like we don't know what the insight into that is. Now you might, Hey, I'm riding a hot hand longer than normal. I'm breaking the script, but this is what you always say. There is an you know, initial script to break from like, what's the, what's the plan? What's the rotation? And it's driving me nuts, Larry. I, if they told me like, hey, surprise, we've actually been trying to tank this whole time. We just were trying to be low key about it. I would actually be like celebrating because some of this shit, it's like, all right, are you trying to win here? Like, I honestly can't tell. You're saying you are, but then you do shit that doesn't make sense. Like, again, I don't want to shit on anybody too badly here, but like Jerome Robinson has not looked like an NBA player this year. I'm not saying he's not. It's just from what we've seen on the court, and what they've the way they've talked about him like it just hasn't worked for whatever reason so you know you have a couple games in a row where Bonga gets some minutes with Rui out and looks okay but then we you know we make this total change to now Robinson is the starter and Bonga is the guy that never plays again and it's like well you know uh I was trying to activate him or like he said that about Denny the other week I had to bench Garrison and start Denny to activate him what does that mean like that's that's just like cute bullshit for like, I don't know. I'm just trying stuff. You know, that's really what it is, but you can be more direct with your communication. Mm -hmm. You are trying stuff you can say to activate, but there's something that in the production that wasn't there that you needed to make the adjustment or make some sort of comment. So it would make more sense to everyone right i mean we don't necessarily have to be in the inside but it would make more sense to to the outside and it also make more sense to the player to understand what that exactly means because we want to be based on on production even especially when you're on a bad team so base Mm -hmm. my interaction my on production on what i'm actually doing do not base how you play me or see me based on your feel as a coach because we're not successful as a team. So therefore something is off with the group. So I want to be as an individual player, you know, speaking from a player standpoint, coach me on my production on what I'm doing or not doing versus how you feel like me being in or not being in is going to affect the entire game. Because if I look at the entire season, that hasn't worked if that's been the case. Mm-hmm. So I would always, as a player, I would want to be judged on my, you know, my performance, my production. And if I'm not producing, then you have every right to go down the line. And then I can wait to my turn after all these other guys did not produce 
or did, and then I never get a chance to see the court. But really, as a player, I want to be based. I want you to, you know, judge me, coach me on how I produce, not on yeah that vibe that the night. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because that happens in a, a last second shot sure. where you feel like a guy's not going to switch, or you feel like a guy's not going to cover this part of spot of the floor. That's where your feel comes in at. Not necessarily when you're on a bad team and you guys are trying to figure out how to be productive. Feel, I don't think feel is, is going to be respected, you know, if, if I'm speaking as a as a player. Yeah, situationally, once in a while, like I left the bench in longer tonight than normal because I thought yeah. they would keep giving us some energy. Like you can totally relate to that. But this is bad business in any business. Like if you are a company where you sell things, and you you know that's based on sales dollars brought in new customers you're not going to say like well i know this guy has sold more than everybody else but yeah we're gonna we're gonna let him go and keep the other guy because he's got a better vibe like or i got a good feeling about him longer term like it just doesn't that's bad business across the board and and for every single company you know all of us that have nine to nine to five jobs listening to this like there is some way for your boss to measure you objectively and whether that's, you know, in this case, hey, uh, Mo, I needed you to take more steals uh, or take more charges. Garrison, I wanted you to get some steals. Or it doesn't have to be who scored the most points or hit the most threes. Like, you know, there's, there's just some stuff here. I, I don't know. It, it's, it's embarrassing, though, like that we're still talking about this shit this far into the season. Like it, it just there's, there's no excuse to that for that, in, in my personal opinion. Tough slate of games coming up here, Larry. They're about to go on like a long, I think their longest road trip of the season, which is like six or seven games. Uh, they play the Raptors Monday night, the Magic Wednesday night, the Warriors Friday night, and the Suns on Saturday night. Like that's a tough slate. And and if you have another one for three here, like just pack this shit up. Like feature Rui, feature Denny. Like, you know, let Beal get enough to get his incentives and, and make all NBA or, or whatever it is. But uh, let Berton shoot every time he touches the ball and we'll figure some shit out and try to get some rhythm going into next season. I just like, we should be at that point. And whether you ride it out with Brooks the whole way, or you get a head start on somebody new, or you try out one of the assistants and see if they have a better connection with the players. Like, I don't actually care what you do, but like, it's just insulting to be like, you know, we're going to keep doing this dumb shit. And like, fans are just going to sit here and be like, any day now, we're going to still make the 10 seed. Like, again, they could still do that, but I just don't care. Like, I have no – there's no appeal to me as a fan in a draft class this good to see the team is going to sell out to try to make the 10 seed. I mean, as a player, how do you rationalize that? Like, hey, I'm going to be here for a couple of years. It is better for us to get a top draft pick versus, like, try to win two play-in games. Like, it just – is it easier to sell a tank to a team when like there are big things on a her, you know, on the horizon in terms of like draft prospects and stuff like that? Well, I think this year, just understanding how your season went and everything that that's, that's going on. Mm-hmm. If you're in a season like this and you are, you know, everybody's hovering around that 500, right? I mean, nobody's really just running away, you know, in, in the standings. So everybody's kind of hovering around, but you're in a position where you haven't been able to string you know, multiple games in a row, string wins together in a row. So you're going, you know, four out of six, you know, um, you know, eight out of 12, 
uh, if you're not able to do those sort of things, I think that you're now, you know, planning for, you know, your next year, mm-hmm. especially with the number of games left. So they haven't put it, put together a streak where you can say, okay, that's real promise. We had a, um, a, a sneak peek into what we thought could be a nice little run before the break. But, you know, we deemed that maybe, again, it's a two-way street, so teams are ready to get to break. And, you know, it's a two-way street. So you thought that you would be able to to string together some games, but that hasn't happened this year. So, you're, you know, you're onesie, twosie. You know, you win one game. You win, you know, maybe two in a row. But that's not enough to sustain, and that's not enough to push you into, you know, that play-in spot, right? I mean, because – just the, the rhythm of the season and the way the season is going, you, you're expecting that even if you get into the play-in game, you'll just play, you know, maybe a week longer than, you know, those other teams that did not make it. So as a player, that's kind of the, the mindset of how have we been performing throughout the season? Have we had, you know, obviously the season is, is ups and downs completely for every team, but have we, you know, found something where, we could hang our hat on and, and we could hold it as a staple to us kind of moving up the ladder and making another jump and using the postseason to, you know, use that platform as another jump. Not saying that we're going to, you know, cont- keep advancing in the postseason, but using that, that postseason as, a, as another platform to jump into what you would consider or hope to be a full regular season um, you know, in what is it, twenty in twenty twenty two, and that that's that's really where I, I stand is that you don't want to be in that playing game, playing a choppy season, you know, losing really more games than than you've actually uh, actually won. There are certain younger teams where it's like, hey, none of these guys have been in the playoffs. It would be really good for them to get any kind of playoff experience, even if it's a play in game. Like, I totally get that for certain teams, but when you're you're a veteran led team like the wizards like what do russ and brad really gain from uh two extra play in games like maybe Rui or denny benefit from that but who knows how much minutes they'll even get in those games because you know we we can't really evaluate the the playing time things like that anyway um and the other thing too matt with the with the playoffs is that you you always factor in the crowd And that's what makes, I mean, obviously the intensity of the other team, but that's what makes playoff basketball, Mm -hmm. playoff basketball is not only the intensity that uh, the players bring, the opposing players bring, but also the intensity that the crowd brings. And if you're missing, you know, that element as well, then, you know, are you really getting the full playoff experience, you know, that we know to be, you know, something that's that's bearing down on you when you talk about getting in those playoff games and those playoff series. Is there really an opportunity to really experience playoff basketball, how playoff basketball uh, really looks like? You know, that's a great point, and I honestly didn't even consider that. Yeah, it's how how much more valuable than a regular season game is that at this point if if there's sort of not the same same atmosphere. I'm totally with you. Um, and just sort of, sort of segueing here into – uh, winning and, and things like that and, and legacy specifically for Russell Westbrook. There was a whole bunch of stuff in the media, you know, in the news last week about this sort of um, comment war back and forth with Stephen A. Smith and basically Stephen A. Uh, you know, basically shit on Westbrook for not being a champion. Uh, he's not impressed by him putting up big numbers and the triple doubles and things like that. 
And he said it after the Indiana game, which was stupid because I actually think I, I maybe agree with the point, but the Indiana game, like he put the team on his back. Like that was a Westbrook win. Uh, Westbrook came out and said the championships don't define him and he's a champion just for making it to the NBA. And, you know, they continue to have this back and forth. And Stephen A took those comments to mean, you know, Westbrook doesn't care about winning. There's a difference, in my opinion, from I want to try as hard as I can every game and every year to win a championship. But at the end of my career, if I don't win one, I can live with that because I know I gave everything I had and I still, I still overachieved, you know, what people expected of me. To me, saying that is totally fair and valid. It means you have like a reasonable perspective on life. It doesn't mean that you don't give a shit about winning. Uh, that's sort of how I took it. And I thought Stephen A. Smith sort of made a more salacious take out of it than, than really merited. But, but as a player, how do you feel about, you know, Westbrook's comments, I guess? Well, I liked it, what you took out of it, and because it was about perspective. And as, as a guy that knows what it takes to make it to the NBA, you have to feel like a champion if you make it. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of guys in our neighborhoods that are, you know, probably better than me. And I'm sure there's guys that Russ ran up against that were better than him, that, you know, didn't get the opportunities or didn't, you know, put themselves in the right position to level up and, you know, and, and make those jumps and make it to the NBA. So it is about perspective. And I will say that um, Russ, I, I think he makes, a, he makes a good point. He makes a good point because you can look at him and you can tell that he's not taking anything off. He's trying to get to the max. He's trying to make it to the top of the mountain. Um, does he have all the right answers of getting there? Has he been in situations where he could have been better? Of course, we all have. But at the end of the day, you know that that's a guy that's striving for greatness. Like he's trying to be great. Like he's trying to do things that um, other people can follow. When they see, you know, you know, know of Russ playing in the NBA, they can go to the to the record books and look at the sort of things that he's done. And I think he's just, you know trying to inspire and impact young people to chase those goals. So he's setting all these goals, maybe not just for himself for people to follow, for people, for him to inspire people so they could, you know, reach those heights as well. So he is a champion just from making his way and, and sorting through all the things that he has to sort through. So I don't think he was wrong in his comments. And I think Stephen A, you know, obviously as a, as a hot take or first take or whatever you want to call it, he's going to have more time to um, expand on those comments. He's going to have more time to talk about the question that Russ was asked than Russ had, right? Russ had answered a question as far as to, you know, legacy or whatever the question was, but it was a short question, you know, with an answer that was, was going to be pretty short. Stephen A is going to have a full hour to dig into those comments. And, and prepare his thoughts in advance. Yeah, so it, it's, it's not it, – it is what it is. I'm going to say it's not fair, but I don't think Russ cares, so that's why I'm going to say it's, it's, it's not fair because I don't think he cares if it's, if it's fair or not. I think he's moved on. But I will say that I think that Russ is right. And I think that Stephen A was wrong because of the, the, the amount of time that he gets to give his comment. Because he not only said that he should be a champion, he should try to be you know, an NBA champion, but he also rewarded him and gave him a bunch of credit for being a good dude, for being a guy that's going to stand up for his community, a guy that's going to give back, a guy that's going to inspire and impact. So that's going to go way further than him winning a championship. I mean, I know we're watching and we're in the basketball space, but even the things that Stephen A. mentioned was 
was very much in line with what the things that Russ mentioned, mm-hmm. but Stephen A just had more time to talk about the basketball piece. Mm-hmm. Russ was just talking about him in general. And when he looks in the mirror, what he sees, how he feels, Stephen A got a chance to talk about, you know, the entire piece and adding in, you know, the basketball and also the off the, on the court, off the court. And not to downplay like the maniacal amount of hard work that goes into being like a perennial all-star and things like that, but, or even just being a player in the league in general, uh, you have to get lucky to win a championship. Like there are so many factors beyond the control of one individual player. I mean, you could make an argument that, you know, if there was no LeBron, maybe Westbrook has a ring or, uh, you know, if he'd have gotten to Houston earlier and the Warriors didn't exist, like, you know, there, there are so many things about how your teammates fit in around you, what the staff does. Do you have the right coach to maximize your skill set? Like it isn't just this one guy. Now there are like a few guys that are so good. They can drag, you know, any team to, to a finals or whatever, but just because Westbrook may not be that guy doesn't mean you can label him like a loser. I mean, if he was on like a, you know, a bottom feeding team putting up big numbers every year, that'd be one thing, but it's not like the guy hasn't been in the playoffs, like almost every season, if not every season before this one, I would have to double check that. But so it's just a stupid argument. Like, I think there are guys you could make that case about to be fair. Like there are certain dudes where like, all right, yeah, the guy averaged 25 a game, but he never made it out first round of playoffs or, or whatever it is. But I don't even like Westbrook like as a style of play thing. And I think this is a dumb argument. I, I don't know. I just good, good for him for standing up for himself and double shout out to Nino Westbrook, Russ's wife for, for having his back and shooting that shit down too. I appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the beauty of, uh, you know, of social media. That's the gift and the curse of social media, right? You can, you can see something. And if you have a, you know, you have an opinion on it, you can, you can post it. And if it's, you know, if it's fact or, or, or fiction, right. I mean, you, you can put, your thoughts and, and, and how you feel uh, about whatever, you know, any, about whatever somebody says, you can put it out there, post it, and you can always have your comeback uh, for that. And again, too, when you talk about like this day and age of this game and you're having so many possessions, that's why all these guys are, are piecing up together because one guy is not going to, to be a determining factor on if a, if a team's going to win a championship. Mm-hmm. Back when, when it was 50, 60 possessions in a game, one guy or one and a half guys could, you know, they could maneuver more. But now, I mean, you got 80 possessions, 90 possessions in a game. It's like one guy is not is, is not going to do it. Like you hear that argument about T-Max sometimes, like uh, Tracy McGrady didn't win a championship, didn't get to the second round of the playoffs. Like he's not a winner. Larry, as someone who's had to cover that man, can can you please explain, like, I mean, I would assume you're about to say that that's a very good player. Like it is is that fair? Like that's just a dude that, Things didn't work out. Like Yao got hurt. Grant Hill got hurt. Like he just didn't have help, in my opinion. Anytime someone asks, you know, you know, who's the toughest player to, that you had to guard in the NBA, T Mac and Kobe are the, the two guys that I always mention. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it's about again being in the right spot at the right time, not having injuries. T Mac is around the same time. Kobe is cold, sure. so you know, there's not a lot going to be left on the table. Then T Mac goes to Houston in the Western Conference. Uh uh-uh. uh. So bad move. You know, you're definitely not getting the chance to sniff anything. So it's just about, you know, time and, and place. And like you said, being lucky. 
Uh, and then your talents. I mean, these guys are great players. You know, it, it's, it's not their talent. It's, it's a lot of times it's their situation. And I think that's the one thing that bothers me about like some of the first take shows. I think it's like irresponsible to say some of those things because I, it's their job to like get people to watch and retweet and share videos and things like that. But there are so many people that don't watch the game that it's like, well, you know, Stephen A's right. He doesn't have a ring. So he's clearly a bum. It just, it's a bad way to kind of spread like a, just a, a stupid narrative in my opinion. Yeah. Because we'd like to say if you strip away the money, you strip away the, the rings, uh, you strip away the fame and that guy will bite your head off on a basketball court. So you know, that's really what it's all about. At the end of the day, once we're done playing, it's what you can stand on, you know, as a basketball player. And it's not all about, obviously, I will, would have wanted to have a ring. Sure. But at the end of the day, man, it's, we don't all get a ring. Um, you know, it's only one team, 15 guys are going to get a ring each year. And the other, what, 400 plus guys, they're not going to get a ring. And that's just the way it goes. Yeah, I mean, yeah, for you specifically, you know, you're you're a foot injury or a hand injury or a little bit of both away from from having like you know, a really good chance at a title against yeah. an all-time great team and it it doesn't make you any less of a good player. Like it just I don't know. I, that that shit bothers me. Like I mean just anybody that plays any level of sports knows that you have to have things kind of break in in your way no matter how good you are. Yeah, and a lot of that, too, matters for the outside world. I mean, for, for the, you know, when you talk about, you know, having those rings, you know, it's for the outside because when Russ walks in the room uh, full of NBA players, right, mm-hmm. you know, the respect factor is there. Yeah. You, know, you know, being head and shoulders above a bunch of players that are in that room is there. So that ring is a, is a shiny object that you can show, you know, that you accomplished a goal. But at the end of the day, we strip all of that away. You know, that's what I that's what I look at, you know, as far as to who factors into that column of, of, of great players. Right. And, and that's why I was so curious for your take on like the T-Mac thing. Like I can say, oh, here are all the stats. Here's what I saw watching it. But at the end of the day, I, I never had to guard him, uh, you know, in comparison to, to all of his peers. So I'm going to yield to your judgment on, on things like that because you had to live it with that guy. For anyone who is not a college basketball fan, there is a pretty big game here tonight. Gonzaga Baylor, who you got? Man, Matt, I'm conflicted, man. I've always been a guy that wanted to be around for history. Mm-hmm. Like I've always like, even if it's a team that I was not rooting for, or you know, even a sport that I had no interest in, sure. I just like to be a, like a part of history, like saying it like this happened in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. So I'm. I'm stuck because I want Baylor to kind of be that that champion because I've I've always kind of watched and, and, and love what they do and how they play, but I'm gonna have to go Gonzaga because I want to I want to see history. I want to see these guys go undefeated uh, in the regular season and go undefeated in the tournament to be the undefeated national champion. I think that that is special. And again, like I said, I just like to be a part of, of history where I can talk about things that happen uh, in my lifetime. I just think it's really cool. And this is sort of like a cliche, corny answer, but like how often can you say in a college basketball season, like the two best teams are like definitively 
playing in the championship. Like we're, we're as basketball fans, like we're kind of already winning, you know, if this turns out to be like as good a game as it should be watching that UCLA game, like kind of heartbroken for those guys, the way they played, but that was just a damn good way to, to end a game. And it set up such a good matchup that uh, I, I'm super hyped. No offense to uh, the wizard as we do a wizard show, but if at 9:20 the Wizards game is still on, I'm changing channels. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Like we'll we'll catch you on the DVR uh, DVR later. I- I'm gonna go Gonzaga too. I think I watched every game they played this year just because they were fun to watch. Like I don't know. I, I love guys with good fo- footwork and post moves. So like watching Timmy play is extremely fun to me. And you know whatever he is as an NBA player is whatever he is. But you know if you're like you're young, you're a young high school kid like please go DVR every game this dude plays and like ISO the footwork and things like that. I think that's, that kind of stuff is cool. Gonzaga does things the right, you know, the right way. Everybody likes Mark few, although everybody likes Scott drew. I don't know. Either way. I think we're, uh, we're in for a good one. Let's, let's shout out the women of, of Stanford and also yeah. Arizona as well, because they had a great championship game also. Uh, so shout out to the uh, Stanford Cardinals for winning the national championship on the women's side. Another unreal game, too. I mean, that college basketball produced two crazy buzzer beaters in back-to-back nights. Uh, yeah, if, if folks aren't watching women's college basketball, like, it was every bit as entertaining as as the men's tournament, I, I think. Um, as a Maryland fan, I was a little bit bummed by the way it played out, but very, very cool. That's a great call, partner. Uh, all right, everybody. Uh, we'll catch you next week. If you're anything like me, you break or lose every pair of sunglasses you've ever had. Well, it's time to make your outdoor experiences better with Canon. Canon sunglasses are made exclusively with polarized lenses for optimal clarity. They're made with Japanese optics that make their lenses clearer, lighter, stronger, and Italian handcrafted frames that are impossible to scratch. So use the exclusive code KANONCAST, C-A-S-T, 15, at Canon.com to receive 15% off your first pair. That's K-A-E-N-O-N-C-A-S-T-1-5. Canon, clearly better. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.